Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I think one of the, the simple things is that we have to pay attention to it and we have to prioritise it. The line I hear time and time again as a therapist is, I just thought this would sort itself out. Now, in nothing else in our lives do we just expect that it's going to sort itself out. We make the changes that we want to see, we put the effort in where we think it's needed. But when it comes to sex and relationships, we just think that they just should be, should work, should function. and that in itself is a big problem. Welcome to Honesty Box, where we find the answers to the questions you thought were off limits. Hello, I'm Alex Beard and welcome to the final episode in this series of Honesty Box at the Balance Club, where we ask the questions that you want the answers to, no judgement and no topic is off limits. I've had a really interesting and thought-provoking eight weeks discussing your questions with our guests over this first series. We've had conversations around alcohol, money, sex, parenting, body image, regret and childbirth. Quite a lineup. What I've loved most is getting questions in from you, the listeners, that on the surface may seem really specific to someone's current situation, but once you delve into that topic with an expert, you realise there's some sort of takeaway for everyone in every topic. At the start of this series, I thought I'd have some really interesting conversations on a range of topics. I didn't expect to have so many hold-on-what moments. We still have a ton of questions in the honesty box that we want to discuss and we're always keen for more. So we're going to take a few weeks off and then we'll come back with some more fantastic guests. If you'd like to submit your own question for series two, you can do so really easily and anonymously at www.thebalance.club. Just click on the podcast option and the question box will pop up for you. And if you submitted a question during series one and we haven't covered it yet, do keep listening as hopefully we'll come around to it next time. So for our final episode in this series, we're talking about a subject that comes up a lot in the Honesty Box submissions, sex. Helping us with some answers this week is Kate Moyle. She's a psychosexual and relationship therapist and certified psychosexologist. She helps people and couples to work through challenges in their sex lives and relationships. Alongside her therapy practice, Kate hosts the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast, where the discussions focus on normalising sex and relationship talk and tackling the topics that are often left out of mainstream conversation. Kate, I'm thrilled that you can join us. Our question for today is, is a sexless marriage sustainable? But I think before we tackle that, I just have to ask, how often is everyone really having sex? (laughs) I think it's the question that everyone wants to know the answer to, isn't it? And I think as far as we're concerned we don't have this idea of normal or norm and you know for me what I always say to people is when they're like oh I'm not having enough sex I'm like okay so where are you getting your information about what enough sex is from and we don't actually have anywhere 
a rule book or a kind of statistic or anything that says the average amount of time to have sex is once a week. But for some reason, that's the number that everybody seems to come up with. Um, so I think that understanding that the finding your normal and that's the kind of normal between the two of you, if there's two of you in a relationship or however many there are of you in that relationship is the important thing to think about. And what we can't say is that the couple who are having sex, you know, once every six months, but it's mind-blowing, amazing sex, and it works for them, is any worse than the couple who are having more regular sex, but, like, it's not really doing much for both of them. We can't quantify something that is such a subjective experience. Oh, that's interesting. So you... Because... I think, and maybe this is just me who, who who's, who's kind of absorbed this, that the frequency of sex is often talked about as a good indicator of a healthy relationship, but you don't read that. No, I don't read that at all, because I think that what's really important is that we can have sex without intimacy and intimacy without sex. So those terms are not synonymous, but we've always kind of used them that way. Now, what sex might be for some couples or some relationship is a measure of where they're at or kind of how well things are going or how close they're feeling. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way for all couples. And obviously there might be windows of time, for example, where one partner is struggling with cancer and treatment and that might impact health or they are postnatal or there's infertility or one partner is working abroad, or um, one partner is struggling with mental health, or is on a medication which interrupts them to sexual functioning. So we can understand that there is so much going on. And I think what, what is important is that we acknowledge that sex lives are not linear. They are not always the same. They are not constant and actually when we accept the variability in our sex lives which we never ever talk about then we let ourselves off the hook a bit and we understand that actually we don't need to be under so much pressure to be doing something all the time and also that there are other ways of connecting and being intimate. You talk about quite quite physical things that could affect a relationship but also you know living through a pandemic you know that kind of out, <laughs> yeah. that sort of outside stressor that mm-hmm. can affect everyone obviously in different ways but it might not be something that's quite so obvious like postpartum or someone living with an illness but that just sort of slightly low-lying constant <laughs> anxiety that perhaps no one can actually put their finger on that might have an impact on people's sex drives mightn't it absolutely and you know um what we see is that, or what we understand is that our sex lives sit in the context of the rest of our lives. Now, we have spent so much time kind of separating them out and being like, okay, well, everything else is fine, but sex isn't, but you know, that must be unrelated. That must be nothing to do with everything else. But actually, sexual wellness and well-being is a part of the rest of our wellness and well-being. So we need to understand that what's going on in the rest of our lives can affect us sexually and what's happening for us sexually can affect what's going on in the rest of our lives. And so we might see that someone has, for example, missed out on a promotion. It's really impacted their confidence and their self-confidence or kind of how they're feeling about themselves. And then that evening, they might struggle to be sexual with their partner. They might struggle to get out of their heads or they're feeling a bit more vulnerable or not as confident as usual. And that can be something, an external stressor, which presents 
in the bedroom. And the pandemic is, you know, massively, massively affected relationships and desire and sex lives and dating and how people who are single are managing their sex lives as well. It's had a huge, huge impact on multiple levels in multiple ways. We're often encouraged to talk about so many things with with people we feel comfortable talking about, but it sounds like perhaps how frequently we have sex isn't that helpful then to share with our friends because if if you if your best mate's having it frequently and you're not and you take that to be bad a kind of a measure of something bad is it helpful is comparison here a bit dangerous yeah i think comparison here is completely not helpful because what we don't know or what we don't see is everything else that's going kind of on in that relationship. And actually, you know, we talk about comparison culture a lot of the time being and comparing our internal world to someone else's external world. And so we don't know what's going on in their internal world. And I think when it comes to sex, actually the thing we should be focusing on is, are we having a good time? You know, is it fun? Is it pleasurable? Is it making, giving us that sense of kind of sexual satisfaction or feeling like we are in a good place or a healthy place sexually for us rather than this is the amount of times we have sex? Now, some couples have their routine and their routine might be like, we have sex once a week. And if they get through a week where they haven't, they feel disappointed about that or they make the effort to make sure it's something that happens on that regular basis. A lot of that is also about the kind of habits that we create in our relationships and our way of life and our way of being and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that and actually lots of couples that prioritize it or prioritize kind of having that time or having that physical intimacy or that sexual intimacy do report good level of satisfaction but the kind of prioritizing in itself the act of kind of not scheduling sex but like scheduling that time or keeping it up front and center in terms of their relationship wellness is a positive relationship habit I mean this I'm not I'm gonna be honest has completely blown my mind because I maybe I just I don't know go about my life not reading much around this subject but I still very much see the conversation around sex in a relationship to be about frequency and and you know and obviously intimacy I take as as a, a sort of given as a relationship, something I expect in a relationship. But the two things I have always seen in conversation-wise to be quite distinct, like how often do you have sex is never a question of are you enjoying your sex life? It's always about frequency. Am I just a bit out of the loop or is, is this a sort of change in the way people are talking about things? It's the only objective way we have of measuring our sex lives, really. You know, what, what, how do we measure anything in life? How often is it happening or how regularly, how much or how little? And it's a kind of way of us marking things out or kind of, I suppose, finding that number. But for me, one of the things I talk about a lot is why are we so objectively trying to measure a completely subjective experience? And I think that it's, um, I've talked about this in my podcast, is like this idea of it being kind of a red herring for how kind of well our sex lives are going and actually we understand that desire is something context dependent is something that sex is a motivator not a drive so if something is 
going well and we like it and we're enjoying it it's something we're more incentivized to do we want to do more often so actually that kind of quality over quantity bit is really important but one of the only ways we know how to measure our sex lives is in terms of quantity and there's also a big problem with this that this is about how we define sex so while we're defining sex as intercourse so then everything else doesn't count or is less meaningful or doesn't play a role in that and that is very heteronormative kind of assumes that it's a type of sex that people can have and want to have excludes a lot of people based on a lot of reasons whether that's preference or ability or health and actually discounts a whole load of pleasurable stuff which is very fulfilling for lots of people in their relationships and actually you know, we know that the majority of women or the kind of most common way of women orgasming is not through intercourse. So that kind of is a whole nother layer to how we define and think about sex. In terms of, and, and I know it's not helpful to talk about frequency, but if your own personal drive, if you're just looking at yourself, is it natural to see that drive decline slightly with age or perhaps the length that you're with somebody? Is that quite a common phenomenon? It's definitely a very um, commonly reported phenomenon. And what we also see is that at the start of relationships, people often report kind of having more sex or having more regular sex. Now, at the start of relationships, everything is new and exciting and novelty, remembering our brain loves novelty. There's that sense of anticipation, that sense of curiosity, exploration, wanting to get to know someone. And what we also see in relationships is this kind of exchange of that like novelty and excitement and newness and unknown for the stability, the security, the safety aspects, the routine aspects, which allow us to also kind of be together in a more sustainable way. And that actually that doesn't necessarily always create a kind of thriving environment for desire. So therefore, how do we inject those moments of desire or kind of create the context for desire? And we know that hormonal changes happen kind of across the lifetime, but also that idea of context, which I think is the really, really important thing here, is at the start of relationships, there is so much context to promote desire or wanting or communicating with that person that we like them or want them or love them or are attracted to them because it's a a way of us connecting and sex can be kind of almost the primary way of that happening so if you if you see that desire that sort of like intrigue I guess dip away naturally which like you say makes perfect sense is there a way of injecting it back? Is it is it a simple thing? I think one of the, the simple things is that we have to pay attention to it and we have to prioritise it and we have to... The, the, the line I hear time and time again as a therapist is, I just thought this would sort itself out. Now, in nothing else in our lives do we just expect that it's going to sort itself out. We make the changes that we want to see. We put the effort in when we think it's needed. But when it comes to sex and relationships... We just think that they just should be, should work, should function. And that in itself is, again, a big problem. And so um, there's this idea of that there must be something really wrong if we're having to work at this part of our relationships and our sex lives, which just isn't the case. And I think when it comes to 
desire, what we understand is that a lot of it is responsive. So we respond to what's happening. We kind of respond to how we're feeling like, oh, that feels good. That feels nice. I feel close to my partner. Um, they um, look really hot in that jumper. They um, are making me feel really good. I want to feel closer to them. I feel really connected. You know, all of that stuff is allows us to kind of jump off that feeling into a more sexual place. But we have to also sometimes create the opportunities for that to happen. I mean, if lockdown has demonstrated nothing, it's that actually, even when we are kind of together in the same spaces all the time, it's still difficult to have quality time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And I guess it, let's say that this kind of new way of living is going to continue for a little bit longer. It's very hard to create that quality time, isn't it? Really hard, Yeah. And, you know, the, the difficulty that we've all had at the moment is we are working, living, working out, parenting, coupling, cooking, <laughs> cleaning it, all of that stuff, all in the same space. You know, it's quite difficult to shift into that sexual headspace in the same way when there is no difference, there is no change, there is no external information, there is no novelty. And that is quite difficult for our sex lives in lots of ways. And I think that what we've seen is that lots of people have reported a real drop in desire during the last year or during lockdown because of that, because of the lack of kind of coming home and being excited to see your partner because they're just always there. But the couples who, or people who have reported, for example, like an increase in motivation to be sexual are people who use sex as a stress relief or as a form of kind of like escaping the boredom or as the couples who have been like, right, well, this is the time we've never had before, so let's try and do things a bit differently or let's try and pay a bit more attention to our sex lives here. And we understand that when it comes to sex, the why is probably the most important part. And there's one of my favourite pieces of research, which was done in 2007 now, but by... Um, David Buss and Cindy Meston was why humans have sex and it identified 237 reasons for why people had said they had sex and so when we think about that motivation is the motivation I want to feel closer to my partner I want an orgasm because it helps me to sleep better because my partner looks really gorgeous today because it's our anniversary because it's been a month and I don't want it to be two because 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 so 
when we sometimes think about the kind of what's going on behind rather than all this focus on just the act or the doing. So if there are people out here listening to this who say, yeah, I've just seen my desire sort of drop off a cliff with lockdown because there is just, there is no space for it. And like mm. you say, there's that, there's no change of pace and I just can't get myself motivated. Is it okay to go, I'm just going to shelve my sex life for the moment. I haven't got the capacity to be worrying about that on top of everything else. And when things start to kind of normalise again, then we can start working on it. Is that a kind of a dangerous mentality or is that understandable? I think it's completely understandable, you know, like everyone doesn't have enough kind of going on. Um, And also this is a hugely uncertain time and that's a really uncomfortable place for us to be as humans. We don't like not knowing kind of what our future direction at least is going to look like. I think, you know, if that's what people need to do in order to get through it, that's not a negative. That shelving it, but just don't think it's going to take itself off the shelf. You know, you've got to be prepared to address it to kind of look at it to make those changes because as I said earlier it's not just going to happen on its own now what lots of couples describe is actually sometimes the lack of sex itself isn't or kind of like that physical intimacy itself or sexual intimacy itself isn't necessarily like the key problem but what is is that everything that goes with it and around it so for example feeling desired feeling wanted by our partners, feeling that we're attractive to our partners, feeling that our partner wants to approach us, feeling that our partner wants to kiss us, wants to hug us, wants to be with us, rather than we're just kind of functioning kind of as separate humans in the same space. And actually, a lot of the intentionality or kind of emotional side of it is that feeling connected, feeling wanted, feeling desired, feeling attractive, feeling loved... And when those bits aren't happening, because they tend to be the precursor for a lot of sexual intimacy, that's when I think couples can really struggle because that bit of the relationship has fallen away. And that's when we can start to feel quite isolated or quite disconnected from each other. And I guess I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to guess that that is something we should be talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it's something that, for example, comes up a lot in the conversation with couples who are trying to conceive or having fertility treatment or things like that, because it's the time that sex can become very functional rather than fun and very time orientated. So particularly focused around certain dates. And so then the rest of the time when it's not kind of during an ovulation window, there is no sex or intimacy or reaching out to each other or connecting. And then it becomes all about the back to that motivation bit, all about the kind of function of like what sex can offer or the vehicle to getting what we want. And then the other, the rest of the month, we kind of feel a bit disappointed or a bit sad or a bit disconnected or a bit unwanted. So it's a really, I suppose, more obvious example of when those feelings can come up, but it's a lesson that I think that we can all take for the rest of our relationships. So if we were to return to the question that was actually pulled out of the honesty box today is, is a sexless marriage sustainable? What would be your answer to that now? Yes, absolutely, it is sustainable. And it's also a lot, you know, some people don't enjoy sex. Um, we also know that people who identify as asexual 
can have successful relationships and they can have intimacy and they can have connection. So I think that what it's about is working out what you need in your relationship and that is both as individuals um, thinking about, okay, what do we both need and working out where you can kind of fit in the middle of that. But there are plenty of ways to be intimate that don't involve sex. Is it about having, and I'm not saying you have to find someone who has the same sex drive as you, but finding an equilibrium. So surely as long as both of you have a similar sex drive that you both meet, be that low or high, that you're both satisfied, then that's okay. You know, should you have, like you say, mind-blowing sex once a year and that's enough for both of you, then happy, you know, happy days. But if one of you wants it every week and the other person doesn't, that surely is where problems start to happen. Yeah, and we understand that that um, kind of difference in sex drive, we don't isolate the problem in one partner. So we understand that mismatch is actually probably more normal than being perfectly matched or more, not necessarily normal, but expected. And actually then it's how do we work together? How do we kind of create desire responsive scenarios that we both like that make us feel comfortable that make us both feel confident that make us both feel like we want to be sexual more you know how do we change that and I think a lot of that is how we understand that definition of desire as a more fluid context dependent concept rather than something fixed that we can't change and is this something that people can do between themselves or obviously this is the work that you do with people with couples with individuals how much of it can be done on your own I think a lot because it's hate but it takes the I suppose willingness openness to want to look at that stuff you know what is it that makes me feel good what is it that makes me feel turned on what is it that makes me feel relaxed what is it that makes me feel comfortable what is it that makes me feel confident what are my turn offs and there are lots of ways that we can kind of like manipulate our environments but it's also thinking um about what is it in us so esther perel does a brilliant exercise where it's a complete the sentences and it's kind of i turn myself on when i turn myself off when and I think what is really great about it is it's understanding that that feeling is um, in us rather than our partners kind of doing something to us. So it might be, I turn myself off when I feel really stressed and I can't stop thinking about what I need to do tomorrow. So knowing that that's not necessarily like the best environment for sex, or if that is, you know, kind of a constant for you, how do I change that? So is it that actually before I kind of go up to bed, if that's where I'm choosing to have sex, that... I write down my list of everything I need to think about for the next day so I don't need to think about what I'm going to forget and be worried if I take my eye off the ball that that is going to be kind of interrupting sex. So it's how can I create the little changes that I need to help me. Do you see that in the work that you do that people still struggle to talk about their sex life, their intimacy issues? when they're in a relationship that they might have been in for 10 years you know they might have been together for so long they know everything about each other is it still an obstacle for people to talk about these things absolutely and I think that you know if we as a relationship as a kind of like mini culture in our own relationship have never talked about it in a way it can be really difficult to start talking about it because it's something that's never been discussed and a lot of couples might go through the whole of their relationships 
not really talking about sex. It's not something we're taught to talk about. We kind of feel comfortable talking about. We know what reaction to expect from other people. I think there's a lot of factors going on which are that this has always kind of been something behind closed doors or not really discussed or something quite assumed. And that then if we have to talk about it, there must be something wrong or there must be a problem. And I think that's what's really exciting about where we're at at the moment in terms of kind of sexual wellness and sexual well-being because we are having these conversations and people are making a lot of changes and that's really exciting. So is the kind of takeaway from this that happiness is the goal, not necessarily sex? Absolutely. I think that it's that sense of, you know, what are we looking for? Is it relationship satisfaction and that sex is a part of that? Working out how important sex is to us in our relationships, you know, how we are feeling. I think that sense of like satisfaction is a big thing or that sense of happiness, but also that sex is about fun and pleasure and connection and that if we are getting those things also why are we not okay with that and then thinking okay if I'm not if this isn't working for me or I'm not happy what is it that I'm not happy about Kate that's a great place to stop thank you so much what a great way to finish off series one that was so interesting we have so many questions around this subject I think we might need to get you back in the future And thank you to our listeners. We've had a great eight weeks. Thank you for supporting the podcast. If you love it, then please subscribe. Give us a rating on the app wherever you get your podcast and we'll see you back here in a few weeks' time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.